thinks of Popeye when we do that. I am what it says I am. <laughs> okay, beautifying the house of God, Ezra 7, 1, and then verses 6 through 10. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, and we'll jump down to verse 6, because a lot of that is just kind of giving history of, of his background. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went all up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. And then we'll jump down to verse 27 through 28 of the same chapter, Ezra 7. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and for, before all the king's mighty officers. So uh, we kind of, I think, did a, a message uh, uh, called Building the House of God. I think it was last Wednesday. And so this is the second part, beautifying the house of God. I didn't do it on purpose. It just worked out that way. Uh, the Israelites, if you remember, had been given a homeland after their captivity in Egypt with the understanding that they would serve the Lord and keep his word. Now, as we also know, throughout their history, they constantly rebelled against the word of the Lord, and they insisted on serving other gods. As a result, the Lord allowed them the consequences of their actions. They were taken captive by the nations whose gods they had chosen to serve, uh, Assyria for the northern kingdom, Babylon for the southern kingdom. Unfortunately, Jerusalem was captured, the temple was destroyed, and the Israelites were taken out of their homeland into captivity into Babylon. And remember, we looked at commission to build in Ezra 1, 1 through 3. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, he made a proclamation and put it in writing, all the kings of the earth, verse 2, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he's commanded me to build a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now, as we learned in our last look, at what God was doing with the Israelites in this book. God was still faithful to Israel. God, who is omniscient, knowing the end from the beginning, prophesied through the prophet Jeremiah that he would break the yoke of Babylon and restore his people back to their homeland after 70 years of captivity to Babylon. And if you were to go to Jeremiah 29, we'll just read this first verse. After 70 years are completed, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to, re to return to this place. Jeremiah prophesied that before they ever went into captivity. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows your end, and he knows your beginning, and he knows all the days that have been appointed for you, but he also knows what you're going to do. All right, I know this is kind of a little getting off, but the Bible talks about when we stand before the Lord, we're going to be judged as Christians not for salvation purposes but for reward purposes right and we're going to be found in the books and I believe my personal opinion the book that he's going to be looking at 
is out of Psalms um, 139, verse 16. I know all the days that have been appointed for you, all the days of your life. Before you were ever born, these things were appointed for you. I believe he's going to take the book of what he destined us to do, and then we're going to look at our lives and what we did, and then our rewards are going to be based how we matched up to whether we fulfill the purposes of God in and through our lives or not, right? Now, that's rewards. We're not talking about getting to heaven. That's, that's, that's a different uh, judgment seat. We are already in Christ. We're not under judgment. Uh, we are saved. We're going to receive rewards in heaven. Now, people will often say, well, I don't care about rewards. I'm just glad that I'm getting to heaven. Well, I care about what God cares about. And if God cares about rewards, then I want to care about rewards. If God thinks it's important for me to get a reward, then I want to get all the rewards that I can. But you don't get rewards by going up like the, the message was. You get rewards by going down, right? How, how well do you serve? How well do you, do you love? How well do you help other people become all that they're supposed to be, right? So anyway, Cyrus, who is the king of Persia, getting back to our text, the nation who had taken down the Babylonian kingdom was now issuing a decree to let the captives go and rebuild the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. What we also brought out last time is that one of the ways of God is to work from the inside out. In this text, we see that the Lord begins by building the house of God. They were first commissioned to build the house, right? What we're going to see next is that the Lord now sends Ezra to beautify the house of the Lord. And that's the second point, commissioned to beautify. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, Ezra 7, 27 through 28, who put such a thing into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. Proverbs 24, 3 through 4 says, By wisdom a house is built. Okay, really, you could put up, my opinion, you could put a period there. How do you build a house? Wisdom. Okay, how do you put wisdom into practice? By understanding it is established or it is founded. Once you have the house that is founded and it goes up, then by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So we, we had the privilege, <laughs> privilege of rebuilding our house after it flooded. And then, being a pastor here, I got to be a part of uh, whenever uh, the board decided to rebuild the house that was going here. Uh, Bobby, you know, helped us with that incredibly. I get to go see some of the things that he does as well in rebuilding houses. And, you know, when you're first putting up the house, it's not about making it look pretty. It's about making it functional, right? You got to get the foundation right. You got to get the studs right. You got to get the electrical. You got to get the AC. You got to get you got to get you know the flooring. You got to get everything right. And then the decorators come in. Of course, they're part of the process, and they make what is there look pretty. Have you ever gone to? Uh, have you ever gone to? We we had the opportunity to do this several times. A model home. You know, if you're looking at new houses, you go to a model home and you go, oh, this home is so pretty. This home is so wonderful. I can see myself in this house. And then you go visit the spec houses, and you go, this don't look like that house. This don't look like that house at all, right? Well, what's the difference? One was built like a blank canvas, and the other one is decorated up to the hill, right? So the Lord 
begins by building the house. And then, after a process of time, he sends Ezra with the commission to beautify the house. What does it mean to beautify the house of the Lord? Well, it's Wednesday, so we'll take a little time, just a real short little time, and go back and look at a few of the, the words. The word beautify comes from the Hebrew word fa'er. It means to glorify, to show one's glory, or to boast. This word in Hebrew was subsequently translated by the Greek word doxazo. I don't know if you know this, but the Hebrew scriptures, uh, after a process of time, people didn't speak Hebrew anymore. They spoke Greek. And so in order to have a knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures, they got this uh, team together. It's called the Septuagint. I think there were 70 scholars that got together. And the Bible says, I mean, the legend says, legend, not necessarily history, that they all went to a different room, made their translations, came together, and they matched up perfectly. Did that happen? I don't think so, right? However, what they did do is they translated the Hebrew into the Greek. They had to have a working knowledge of biblical Hebrew. So we go back to the Septuagint. When we don't understand what a biblical Hebrew word means, we go back and we go to the Septuagint and say, what did they think it meant, right? What word did they use to translate? Uh, like this, translate this Hebrew word, and sometimes words would be translated with different words depending on the context and what it's trying to bring out, right? So the word they used in the Septuagint to translate this word was the Greek word doxazo, and it means to glorify, to praise, to honor, to extol, to clothe in splendor or glory. From this we understand the word beautify, refers to the idea of adding glory to or to clothe in splendor or in glory. Of course, we know the Lord is the Lord of glory, so we can kind of surmise that God is commissioning Ezra to cause his presence or his glory to be seen in and upon the house that had been built. You see, he doesn't just want a structure. He wants the structure to become all that he intended it to be. He wants it to shine and to reveal his glory. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 8, it says, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Jesus is the Lord of glory. Now, how many of you know that Jesus lives in us? Paul said, It's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. So let's remind ourselves that we are the house of God. We are the place where God dwells. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. I didn't include it in here, but I love the scripture in Romans 8. Uh, uh, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, and the answer to that is yes, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body if indeed that spirit dwells in you. So the spirit of God, the implication is if you're a Christian, the spirit of the living God lives inside of us because we are the temple of the living God. Now that's individually but also corporately, right? Corporately, 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18, what agreement has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of the living God? As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So the house 
is first established or built? Is the Lord, the question is, still building his house in the New Testament? Well, I just gave you a clue. We are the house of God, but is he still building his house? Yes, Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Simon Peter replied when Jesus said, Whom do you say that I am? He said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, how is this house of God, the church of the Lord, being built. Now we're rehashing. We want to focus on beautifying, but let's just make sure we understand how this house is built. Well, Matthew 28, 19 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why is it important that they go and make disciples? It's so that people can call because Romans 10 and 14 says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or telling or testifying or saying something to them about Jesus? Right? So what happens when they hear and they want to call on the Lord? What do they do? Romans 10, 8 through 10. You don't have to follow this as a rule or as a formula. Like I said, I just said, God, are you real? But inside I knew what I was it had already been encapsulated in my heart because I've been going to church for three months and I kind of had an idea of what I was doing. God, are you real? Because if you are, I really want you in my life. Paul says it this way, though. He said, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. See, you can have the word just in your mouth, but it's not going to do you any good. It's got to be in your heart. You can have the word in your heart, but it won't do the same thing as if it's in your heart and it's coming out of your mouth. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth what's in your heart, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So by believing in the good news of Jesus Christ and his work on our behalf, we are saved. And when we are saved, we become a part of the house of God. I know it, it's just good to remind ourselves, right, always how, how we get there. First Peter 2, 4 through 5. As you come to him, he's talking to Christians, a living stone, Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, now he's talking to the church, Christians, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Of course, the culmination of what we're bringing out in our text is that God's work is not complete by simply having a structure. So simply having, uh, or by simply having a church. In Ezra, we see that his purpose is that it would be beautified. See, sometimes if we're not careful, uh, we, we tend to think, well, let's get people saved, and that's the end of the story. No, getting people saved is establishing and building the house but what we want to see today is that God doesn't just want to build a house. He wants the house to reveal his glory. Right? God's purposes are not complete by simply having a church. His desire is that the church would be glorified. That it would possess glory and reveal his glory. See, we can't 
when I say to be glorified, what I mean by that is that in receiving and manifesting His glory, we are obviously in some way being uh, seen to be uh, 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 having a measure of glory on us, but the glory comes from the Lord. And so when that glory is revealed, what it ultimately reveals is His glory. Have you ever gone to a graduation and, uh, you know, they're graduating and they say, that's, that's my son, that's my daughter. You know, they got a, a, a bachelor's degree. Now, obviously, this is just one time. You can do all sorts of things and your parents be proud of you, but I just, my daughter, Two daughters went to graduation and, and several times. Hey, that's my kid. Hey, that's my kid. Hey, that's my kid. Look at what they did. Look at what they accomplished. That's my kid. Right? And I believe in some way, whenever we fulfill the purposes of God in our lives, it, God is saying, that's my kid. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my church. Right? So, um, so let's revisit this scripture in 2 Corinthians for a minute. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 through 18. We read it just a moment ago. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, did you notice in the scripture verse that corporately we are the house of God? And did you also notice that Paul is addressing the importance of being separate from the ways of the world and likewise to be a reflection of the Lord and His ways? So my contention is that in doing so, people see who God truly is. When we don't just talk about God but live for God, when we do things like Doug said, foolish, I'm not necessarily talking about rolling in church, that'll happen sometimes, but that's not really what we're talking about here, is you get hit on the cheek, what do you do in the world? You hit back and you hit back harder. Jesus said, no, that's not what I want you to do. You get hit on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Are you kidding me? You got to be kidding me. Does that work in prison? Does that work in, in uh, uh, you know, in, uh, in, the, in the plants? Does that work in the schoolyard? Does that work in anywhere? No. It doesn't work there. Or so we think. But Jesus didn't say, do what everybody around you is doing. He said, do what I tell you to do. Well, how am I going to reveal your glory if I do that? Well, there was a guy by the name of Mahatma Gandhi. Anybody know who he was? He's the one that owned the Mahatma Rice Company. No, just kidding. <laughs> he took this principle of, he, he, he flirted a little bit with Christian, Christian ideas. Christian, he didn't, I don't think he ever became a Christian, but he took one truth from the Bible. And the truth that he took from the Bible was to turn the other cheek. And he developed this understanding of nonviolent, um, uh, I forgot the rest of it, but nonviolent uh, uh, activism. Yeah, so it, it, in other words, uh, we're not going to resist physically and offensively. We're going to resist by not reacting to what you do to us. All right? Now, you may think, well, that'll never work. Well, 
the nation of India was a British colony for centuries, I believe. Uh, and then through this principle of nonviolence, the British government finally allowed and, and actually left India to become an independent nation. So you could say it this way, that that one truth brought down the rule of Britain in India. You say, well, it doesn't work. It did there. But you got to be committed to it. You got to do what he says. Now, if a non-Christian can do what God says and bring down with power the British Empire that was ruling in that day, imagine what happens when Christians do what God says. Now, we don't wrestle against political powers. We wrestle against powers and principalities and rulers. And you may think it's not going to be effective, but God says it will be effective. But you've got to be committed to it. Well, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to, I don't want to have any difficulties. Well, then you're in the wrong place. You will experience the victory of God. You will experience the glory of God. You will demonstrate what God wants you to do if you will be committed to Him. But what you're going to find is that, is that in order to reveal His glory, you're not going to go up. You're going to go down. And in going down, there can be sometimes suffering. Now, we're not talking about sickness, disease, affirmity, and affliction. We're just talking about uh, humbling ourselves, going through difficulties. Uh, uh, you know, uh, why does it seem I'm always, I'm always getting attacked? Why is all this stuff happening to me? Because you are uh, 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 standing on the truths of God, submitted to the things of God, and eventually it'll work its way out through your life. But in the short run, it looks like you're on the losing end. But if you're committed to what God says to do, you will come out victoriously. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were committed to doing the will of God. And in the short term, where'd they go? In a fiery furnace. That's hard to say. What was revealed in the fiery furnace was Jesus. So what happened with Daniel, who was committed to do the things of God? In the short term, it didn't look good for him. He was committed to a death sentence it with lions overnight. But he wasn't going to back down. He wasn't going to give in to the status quo. He wasn't going to give in to the satisfaction of what everybody wanted from him. All he had to do was renounce. He wasn't going to do that. So it looked like he was going down. But, and he did go down. And he went down into a pit. But in that pit was revealed the glory of God. And when the king came back and it said, Daniel, did your God deliver you? Daniel didn't say, no. The lion didn't say, no. Daniel said, my God delivered me. So 
in the short term, sometimes it doesn't look so good doing the things of God. Turn the other cheek. But if you will be committed to doing things His way, you will find that it will reveal the glory of God. Right? Same with Joseph. Joseph went down to Egypt, and he was a servant. All he had to do was, uh, you know, bow down to the, to the thing that was tempting him at the time, but he didn't do it. He stood up for God, and it got worse. Right? He wouldn't, but he wouldn't abandon God. He wouldn't abandon his walk with God, or God didn't abandon him, however you want to look at it. And eventually, after 13 years of going down, 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 God brought him back up because the Word of God works. And when Joseph was glorified, God was glorified because Joseph gave the glory to God. When Daniel was glorified, God was glorified because Daniel gave the glory to God. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were glorified, God was glorified because they gave the glory to God. And that's what I'm saying is that when, when God is working in our life, He doesn't just want a church. He wants a church to reveal His glory. Right? Uh, my contention tonight is that is that God's desire, when we're talking about beautifying the house, is that people see who God truly is. And in a sense, we reveal His glory to the world around us. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12, to this end, we also always pray for you that our God may, will, may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61 through 3. Arise and shine. He's not talking to the, the Lord is not talking to Jesus. He's talking to the church. And what is he telling the church? The people of God in this particular instance, but we know that it's for us as well. Arise and shine. Why? Because your light, Jesus, has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And when they do that, we give the privilege of saying, it's all him. It's all him. Now, how does this glory come upon us, arise upon us? It happens as we grow up in Him. As we reveal Him. You see, maturity in God is less of me, more of Him. Not none of me. Less of self, let's put it this way, and more of love. Now, I'm not relegating Jesus to just love because Jesus is love, uh, uh, how was I going to say it? Love, Jesus is love, but he's more than love. Because some people want to equate love with God. Well, God is love, but God is more than just love. Okay? So, um, 
it's, 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 again, it's that principle. Me going down and who the nature of God within us rising up. The fruit of the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is my contention. Others have different contention. My contention is fruit of the Spirit is one fruit, love. What does that love look like? Gentleness, kindness, meekness, all those different. So there's different uh, uh, flavors to love, but it's one fruit. Just like you can have different kinds of apples, you know, but it's one apple. You know, it's, it's my contention that's what it is. But, but the bottom line is, is that as we grow, we produce fruit. Where does the fruit come from? It comes from the Lord. Now, we have to grow in God. How do we grow in God? Uh, uh, first uh, Psalms chapter 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. What happens when he does that? He shall become like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and he shall bring forth his fruit in its season. His leaves shall not wither, and whatever he doeth shall prosper. So what's happening is, as we're growing in God, as we're maturing in God, we're producing fruit. Not like the fruit of the world, but like the fruit of the nature of God, because God is growing in us. And His love is growing in us. And we're learning how to do things like Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable form of service or worship. So what are you doing? You're presenting your will, your desires, what you want to do. You're laying it down so that God's desires, God's will, God's fruit, God's nature can grow up in us. Well, that's not what I signed up for when I became a Christian, Willie. It's what is to be, right? Now, whether you walk in step with that, that's totally up to us. We get to choose. But I want to become all he's wanting for me to be, and I want us to become all that he's wanting for us to be. 1 John 3, 1 through 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So that you can take that two ways. We shall see Him as He presently is, or we shall see Him because we shall be like Him. right? We shall see him as he is, so shall we be, is one way of understanding that. I think the literal understanding is that we're truly going to see him for who he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, so if we were to go with another thing, which this is bringing out, whenever you have some type of precious metal, it doesn't come in a pure form usually comes in an ore or some kind of mixture. And then what they do with that metal is still gold. Let's just use gold. It's still gold, right? But the gold has mixtures of stuff in it. And so what has to happen is there's a process to distill the gold, and the way that that gold becomes uh, revealed in its purity and the pure form of gold comes forth is by putting it through the fire. 
Remember what I was telling you is we want to reveal the glory of God. But in order to reveal the glory of God, there's going to be a, a nature where we go down. We got to go through fire. Why do we go through fire? Because through the fire is where our precious faith is revealed for what it is. Of greater worth than gold. The more we stand with God, trust God, through not, not just when things are going good, but when things aren't going good. The more we rely on trust in God, it's like God is doing a refining work in us. And as we do that, that nature of God that's in us begins to be revealed more and more, and it looks more and more like Him. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints... For the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all, what does all mean? All. See, we read it like this, until the other people, until my husband, or if you're the husband, until my wife, <laughs> until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Now, that includes all of us, okay? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. Because when we come into the kingdom, we may be 30, 40, 50 years old, but spiritually, we're children, right? But the Lord doesn't want us to remain children. He wants us to grow up and become all that he destined for us to be, right? So that we may no longer be children. But I'll be honest with you, much of the church is content with just being children. It's hard to grow up. When my kids got older and they got jobs, I was remembering uh, uh, one of my kids. I'm not going to mention them because I get in trouble every time I mention them. But this is a good, this is a good testimony. They said... They started making money, and then they were lamenting the fact that they had to let go of money. <laughs> well, I'm making all this money, but then I got to pay my rent. I got to pay my car. I got to pay this. I said, I have all these things that I got to do. I said, that's what it means to be an adult, right? When you're a teenager and you're working, you get to keep all your money because most of the time your parents are still paying the bills. They're doing all this kind of stuff, whatever the case may be. So you're like, you can get a $10 an hour job and be making good, you know, keeping a lot of that money in your pocket, and then here you go and you make a $50 an hour job, and, but you got cars, you got this, you got that. You may have more money as a teenager than you do it as an adult. Right? Okay, so what happens is it's hard to grow up because there's a lot of responsibility that, that happens when we grow up. And the thing is, as we grow up in God, it positions us for more responsibility. Well, I don't want to grow up. Well, I want to reveal the glory of God. And sometimes in order to reveal the glory of God, you've got to be in a position where you can't do it. You can't accomplish it. And the only way it can be accomplished is if you allow God to work through your life. And so when people see God doing things through you that you cannot do on your own, it reveals the glory of God. But in order to be in a position to do things that you can't do on your own, you have to be willing to, to, do, uh, to grow up. 
uh, we were talking about this before. Most people that come to church, and I'm not talking about this church. Yes, we're talking about other churches. Yeah, We don't know what other churches, but we're talking about other churches. But maybe we're found in this too. Is we, we very much, and I'm not sure if it's just a product of today or if it's always been like this. But we very much enjoy consumerism, right? So you remember when Black Friday first came out? Black Friday, you know, when people made it to lines. They would get in line on, on that uh, uh, Thanksgiving night, uh, and they'd wait all night long for these incredible deals, and they had Black Friday. And, and then, then you had the pandemic. Now you have Black Friday online, right? And then they found, well, we need, like, Cyber Saturday and uh, Super Duper Monday. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like uh, we just want more. We want more. We need more. We need to, to foster that consumerism. We need better deals. We need more stuff. How can I better myself? How can I buy more stuff for myself? How can I elevate myself? It's all about me. And we bring that to the church. And just because we get saved doesn't mean that now all of a sudden in, in our salvation, we are not still self-serving. Another thing the board was talking about. It's hard to get people to serve today. We got a call for service. We need people in, in missionettes. We need people in rural rangers. We need people in you. You know, we make a call to the whole church and one person responds. Why? Well, I like being in Bible study. I like learning. I like doing all that kind of stuff. So do I. But that's not what's needed. How many heroes throughout history wanted to stay home with their families and, and plant a crop and enjoy, enjoy that time of respite, but they were called to battle? And they heard the call, and they knew that I had to sacrifice what I want for the betterment of the whole, for the betterment of my family, for the betterment of the church, for the betterment. And I, well, I guess what I'm saying is that that's what Jesus did for us. He sacrificed what he could have been doing for us. And if we're really growing in God, there will come a point where we understand the beauty of being in a worship service, the beauty of doing this, but we understand I'm called to do something more. And I'm going to have to leave this place of comfort to go to a place that's sometimes uncomfortable. This place where I'm fed uh, meat and potatoes, and I got to go somewhere where I'm making a diet of salad to give away to somebody else. I don't want to do that. Nobody does. But as we grow up, there's something inside of us that says, this is what I need to do. And when I do this, I become more like my Lord. And when I become more like my Lord, He gets glory. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians 4, 22-24, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in concluding, in our text, 
God sent Ezra to go to Jerusalem. His purpose in sending him was to ensure that it would be beautified. And by the way, there was a period of 50 years, I believe, from the time that the temple was built to the time that Ezra was sent to beautify it. It doesn't happen overnight, right? We concluded that God wanted more than just a structure. He wanted the structure to become all that he intended it to be. He wants it to shine and to reveal his glory. What we also determined is that God's work is not complete by simply having a church. He wants a church that he wants the church to be glorified, that it would possess his glory, and in so doing would also reveal his glory. Jesus revealed his glory while he walked the earth, and now as his body, he still wants to reveal his glory, but he wants to reveal his glory through us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, I, 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 I don't want to put myself out there because I did that one time. I said, Jesus, on Facebook, and I got 350 people unfollow me and, un and said they didn't like me anymore. You know what? We need to grow up. He didn't say, if everybody likes you. He said, we're to reveal his glory. We are to light up. We are to shine wherever we're planted and do what it is that he's asked us to do, whether people like us or not. But I can promise you, there will be some that will be attracted to the light. But if we don't shine, nobody's going to be attracted to the light. John 14, 12 through 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So it begins by becoming a part of the house, but it doesn't end there. He continues his work by beautifying the house. And that process is simply letting Christ shine in us and through us. Mm -hmm.